you're listening to Interzone Pod. My name is Gareth Jelly, and today I'm talking to Jendia Gammon. Hi, Jendia. How are you? Doing well, Gareth. Thanks so much for having me on. It's it's a pleasure. Um, so, some people, some people who are listening, might might already know you under 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 kind of your other sort of pen name. Yes, I have a prior pen name, J Diane Dotson. That's D I A N N E D O T S O N for which I was part of independent publishing. And so now I have changed over to Jindia Gammon for all future work. I do, however, have a new and final release under the Dotson name coming out next week. Okay. So, so we'll, we'll, come, we'll come back around to that. So there's a book coming out under the, the other pen name. Your Interzone 295 story is under your, your current, your sort of your new name, Jindia Gammon, right? Yes, as are several other short stories and anthologies coming out now or soon. And you have a short story collection um, which people can get, The Shadow Galaxy, which is which will be J. Diane Dotson. Yes. And um, and a whole bunch of other books that we can kind of wrap up a little bit at the end. Um, but before we get to those, I thought we could start maybe maybe you can just sort of uh, yeah, tell tell me, tell listeners when you first sort of knew that you wanted to be a writer. How how did you, how did that all come about? I have basically been telling stories since I could hold a crayon, because in a lot of ways my art developed with my writing, and I would illustrate what I was writing. So that started at a young age, and then when I was in grade school, at probably second grade, I started writing longer form things, and I also made a comic called Son of Blob, which was a hilarious take on a movie that disturbed <laughs> me. So I kind of, that was my way of coping with it. But I also wrote really maudlin sort of romantic fiction. It was hilarious. It really bad, but um, that was sort of my first long form fiction. And then I still have some stories I had written from before age 10, science fiction stories where I was coming up with whole planets and different names. And that eventually led to my writing two full-length novels when I was 13 and 14, mm-hmm. which are the bones of what is now the Questrazon saga that is Heliopause, Ephemeris, Accretion, and Luminiferous. But back then, I was making that whole universe and the heroes and villains in it. Right. Wow. So, so yeah. And, and, and the, the, the art side of things, you're, you're quite active. You, you do art as, you know, you're, you're creative in that way as well. How do you find the two relate to each other, if at all? I mean, do, do you find yourself kind of, you know, thinking very visually when you're writing or, or wanting to sort of visualize things that you've already put on the page? I do think they are closely intertwined. I am a very visual writer and learner for that matter. And I find that I can visualize the entire book kind of like a movie and then I just write it down. You know, it's I don't really follow the outline rule so much when I'm writing a novel or even a short story. It's the story is there and it's just a matter of the time it takes to get it down and any detours the characters give me along the way. But by and large, it's it's a pretty complete, mm-hmm. you know, beginning, middle and end. I just have to finish it. And as things, you know, evolve, then that can make the process more creative. But it is highly visual. There's a lot of rich tapestry going on not just visual actually but there's also sensory elements of uh, i'd like to talk about food for example in across genre fiction and taste and scent and things like that but the visuals are rich and descriptive but you know i don't get lost in them so to speak so 
they're very much intertwined. And I like to sketch out certain scenes. I do watercolors of them or, or pen and ink or marker. And I, I do have a lot, maybe a thousand illustrations for the Questers on Saga over the decades of the characters and their fashions. So yeah, there's a strong visual component there. And I feel like, you know, I, I went into science. I had art scholarships for college, for university, but I, I, I switched to science. So in a lot of ways, the three, it's, a, it's sort of a triangle of science writing and art for me. And they're all connected in some way. Yeah, I was going to ask, my, my next question was that you, you have a degree in ecology and evolutionary biology, and, and you talk a lot about, you know, the, your focus on world building and sort of listening to you say there, you know, you're writing, you know, from quite a young age. How, how did that, how did that kind of come together into those, into that series you mentioned? Yeah, how, how did it all kind of come together? I think that in most of the stories I write, whether short fiction or the novels, there is an ecology connection in there because I'm such a nature loving person. And I have been since I was a child, which I can thank my father for taking me out in the forests and showing me different you know, species of trees and flowers and everything, because he was a nature loving kid as well. We grew up in East Tennessee and Southern Appalachia has the highest number of endemic plant species in North America. So it was, I didn't know that at the time. I just knew that it was an incredible diversity of life. And I wanted to celebrate that. And when I discovered that, you know, I could get an education in ecology, I realized it was filtering through to my fiction as well. Mm -hmm. And I also became a science writer. So I was doing both. I was doing the nonfiction and the fiction. And sometimes I would be inspired by my nonfiction science writing to write parts of my fiction. And I had read Dune at a fairly young age and then revisited it later in my teens. And I think that also had an effect. You know, I liked the interconnectivity between the different species and their environment. And that's what ecology is. So having found that and discovered it, you know, it, it's it's something I use in my world building and I talk about in, I've talked on panels and workshops and I have a special workshop in this spring. I've talked about it for horror and fantasy fiction as well. You can use ecology to world build to make it feel immersive and that, you know, your characters aren't existing in a bubble. There is an interactivity going on between the living and non-living elements of their world. It just makes it seem more real. And it's something that we can all pay closer attention to in our everyday real world lives. Mm -hmm. who, who are the writers sort of, you mentioned Herbert, but who are the, who are the writers who you, you know, you feel do that really well or who you sort of, you know, you admire on that level, the, you know, the, the worlds that feel very, you know, interconnected and real. I really felt that Philip Pullman got it with his dark materials because he had a lot to say about, you know, a changing environment and the dynamics going on in the world around them and events beyond anyone's control and those that were in their control. So I loved his dark materials for that. Loved Robin McKinley's uh, Damar series, The Hero in the Crown and The Blue Sword. She talks a bit about how the environment changes over hundreds of years, you know, as those storylines evolve. And that fascinated me. Ursula K. Le Guin, obviously. Um, and let's see, in terms of more recent fiction, Lou Anders, who just published an anthology that has a story of mine in it. It's part of his Thrones and Bones universe, in which he had a middle grade series and then went on to create an adult uh, role-playing game for Thrones and Bones 
marvelous sort of Dungeons and Dragons, you know, completely in-depth world building. And when I was working on the short story for his anthology, I was impressed at how much he had thought about the world and the climate, particularly because this is sort of like a a Nordic fantasy region, but you have frost giants. So you have to think about mm-hmm. what areas does this character that was the main character of the story, where you're, where does he, where is he most comfortable? You know, like when he has to travel to warmer climes, it's a stressful thing for him because he's a frost giant. You know, I just thought Lou Andrews really killed it with, with that uh, in his whole universe that he's got. And it, it was a delight for me to write in someone else's universe that way. So, you know, I just, I love it. Uh, you know, I really felt too that Tolkien had a lot to say about ecology, you know, and I'm not just talking about walking giant trees, you know, there was a lot of seeing seeing a world collapse under the fires of industry, you know, between two uh, villains, you know, who are basically related uh, in a lot of ways, one corrupted by the other. And there was a lot he was saying about ecology in that without calling it that mm-hmm. so powerfully influential there when when you, you you said that you have a really clear idea of your stories sort of structurally and then you're you know filling in filling in the details and sort of you know going off on those little side trips but wh- when it comes to the research in the background are, are you are you someone who does a huge amount before you kind of go in or are you doing that as you go and filling in the gaps it depends on the book. So, for example, I had a dragon fantasy on submission earlier this year. And for the world building there, it's a completely new fantasy world. So I built it from, you know, the stone to the sky and so and to the sea. And I incorporated a lot of ecology uh, discussion and elements into that world. But in terms of research, I was relying upon what I already had done, you know, what I had been educated in and what I had worked in and the research I had done for many years in science writing, which I had to do an extraordinary amount. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you remember a lot. So in contrast to that, the thriller book with sci-fi and horror elements that is currently on submission is real world, near future, partly based on my own work in research in academia in the late 90s, early 2000s. And and yet it, it also catapults to a very different location later. But I relied on my own experience within the realm of academia, but I also knew that for the other location, which I will not spoil, that I needed to talk to some experts on that one. So what I did for that is what I might do for any science article that I needed more information on. I reached out to some researchers themselves, and I I did a little bit of that for the end at the Amethyst Lantern too. My uh, young adult lunar punk sci-fi book coming out next week, uh, sci-fi fantasy. So I I just reached out to PhD scientists that were working in something related to the subject matter. And scientists are only too glad for you to do this because they would rather that you did that and at least got some grounding instead of coming up with something completely off the wall that makes no sense in science at all. Mm-hmm. That being said, you know, my husband doesn't have a science background. Gareth Earl Powell comes up with scientific concepts for his novels and for his engineer column. And in a way, it's a strength that he's coming from more from a different background and coming up with concepts that scientists could look at and possibly make happen. So, you know, you're coming at things from different directions. And I like to do a bit of both. 
You know, Adrian Tchaikovsky is another example of someone who writes strongly within the scientific realm, particularly in ecology, Children of Time being a masterpiece of that genre. And he, of course, has a science background. So between the three of us, we were on a panel together at Chimera in 2022. So it was interesting to see our different approaches. And I was somewhere closer to Adrian, but still incorporating some of how Garrett did things. And I just really believe that it's, it's just safer to go ahead and ask an expert about certain things, it, particularly if it's in a field that you're not strong in or that you just really want to make sure you get right. Just email, just go to the university website, get the email and just reach out or take Google Scholar, which is what I did for certain things related to the thriller. I dug through a lot of science articles and because I was a science writer, it still am. That was something I just, just do, you know, as part of my work, I'm constantly doing that research. So it was to me, a very natural thing just to comb through articles, get the names of the authors and the researchers, go to their bios, track them down and email them and say, I've got a question about this. Can we talk? And every time they say yes, or if they don't have time, they'll just tell you, you know, but most of the time they're, they're only too willing and glad to do that. So, you know, it's a multi-pronged approach, depending on the scope of the novel, when and where it takes place, how fantastical it is, how much research I need to do. That leads nicely into your, your new book, which is, which is set after a climate catastrophe. Um, when did you start working on that one? And, and what can you tell listeners about it? The Ant at the Amethyst Lantern, publishing from Android Press, comes out October 24th, so next week. And this came about because I had written a short story that for a call that was calling for lunar punk short stories. I was always like, what is lunar punk? So then I go digging and I see solar punk magazine is the, is the call. So they wanted something to flip the solar punk to lunar punk. Solar punk being sort of futuristic, utopian, solar related subject matter, sunlight, you know, an aesthetic of yellows and greens and solar sustainability. So an ecology bin, automatically that attracted me, of course, because of my background. But the lunar punk idea really, I thought was fun because, of, oh, it's all about night. It's about night, you know, aesthetics. It's about bioluminescence, phosphorescence, glowing things, you know, the moon, because it's lunar punk. I thought, oh, my God, I love this because I grew up and I talk about this in my acknowledgments of the book. I grew up in East Tennessee and I would spend a lot of time studying astronomy, studying the stars. I'd be out at really weird hours to look at different phenomena if the clouds didn't, you know, derail me from that. And so I found that I could, I wanted to tell this one story that was a bit of a twist on Cinderella and how a teenager in that, in this lunar punk future where everybody does night living, nobody's outside during the day because it's too hostile. So they've adapted. Everybody does everything at night. And the reason I chose that is because it's already happening in certain parts of the world. It's happening in America, in Phoenix and Southern Arizona. A lot of people are switching to doing night hikes and things like that. So I kind of ran with that idea, thinking that if it got to be too tough, you know, you could just adapt and do more stuff at night, which I tend to do on hot weather days anyway. And so I just ran with it. I created this whole world. Uh, Glimmerbite is the name of the town and it's Mira Celestis is going to the glowworm ball, but she's not supposed to because she's not quite old enough, but she's going to move before she can go to the next one when she is old enough. And it's like the place to be for society uh, to come out, be seen. Um, 
So she figures out a way to get in that involves some illicit magic, not knowing that that will have trouble later on. And so that short story is in Solar Punk magazine and it's called Midnight Serenade. And that story serves now as the prologue in the novel, The Inn at the Amethyst Lantern, so you can read it in the beginning of the novel. What, what she does without knowing it, she sort of opens Pandora's box, leaning into this magic. So there's some mysticism in this future sci-fi fantasy world. And that leads to some pretty drastic consequences. Basically, the inn at the Amethyst Lantern involves a, an ancient derelict inn at the base of the Amethyst Lantern, which is a purple and white striped ancient lighthouse that uh, has a purple light, you know, an amethyst-like hue. And so Mira's cousin, Jen, Jenshin Lightworth, is the main character of this book. So she and her cousin and, um, and Jen's brother, Jazz, become embroiled in something that Mira triggered not knowing that there's a, there's a force in that old decrepit inn and someone may still be there after, after eons, right? After a long time, this is hundreds of years in the future. So what happens is that it leads to the creation or not really the creation of, but the release of a, a pretty bad enemy and that can threaten their whole utopian future. So, it's got a lot of ecology going on. There are a lot of animals in it, some of whom are, are sentient. There are robots. Uh, everything is very sustainable. The way in which Jen's house is laid out is the robots that work there. They trot in, in and out of the house. They, they could come in and be an oven. And then the rest of the time they plug in into the earth outside and they, they heat up caverns below where there's a fungal garden that they can harvest. So I've thought out all of this and I thought it all out on a plane ride back from Gareth. Um, in England as expanding. And I thought, this is a whole novel here. So I went to Android Press and I said, you know, that short story that you're publishing, I kind of think I have a novel here. And they're like, oh, really? And they're like, well, pitch it to us. So I did. And they were like, well, we want that. So I was like, oh man. So it was <laughs> one of my two traditional publishing debuts this year. And the other being The Shadow Galaxy by Trepidatio Publishing. So I was delighted and, um, you know, I, I'm hearing good things from the publisher already about the orders. Let me just put it like that. So I think there seems to be. That's really good news. Yeah, it's really good news. It's kind of, I'm kind of freaked out. I'm like, oh, what's going on? You know, but I'm delighted. And it's, it's that sweet spot of young adult that is truly teen fiction. It's not adult dressed as teen. I mean, the main character, Jen, is 14, you know, and. Mira is 14 going on 15. Jazz is 17. Most of the group that they form, which is kind of like Stranger Things and the Goonies and Sabrina and Nancy Drew and Studio Ghibli all blended together. So if you like all those things, this is the book for you. But it also involves their parents, their aunts, and some pretty ancient people that I won't spoil. So there's a broad range here. Uh, and giant cyborg owl. I mean, come on. So wow. there's a lot going on. Uh, and it's just, here's Gareth's blurb for it. The Inn at the Amethyst Lantern is a beguiling, touching, and is as beguiling, touching, and luminous as the nocturnal world in which it's set, containing both a fabulous tale of tomorrow and a dark warning for today. So mm, there's yeah. a lot to say about potential threats. Um, you're, you're married to Gareth L. Powell, and, um, and, and that's a great blurb from, from, from him. Uh, what's it like being married to someone who's you know, working in the same field and 
who's you know passionate about the same things how you know what's the kind of interplay there it's pretty great because writing can be so isolating and i'm one of those outlying writers who's an extrovert so i've had a lot of trouble since the pandemic began I, a lot of my events were canceled uh at conventions that year and you know i had parents i had a parent die that year i had a parent die this year and i feel like i just between all of this like i felt like nobody understood what i was going through but gareth always understands and even though i write more fantasy and more horror as well as science fiction and he seems to be more space opera sci-fi that's more his um genre favorite and i i do multiple genres so i do still feel like the the traditional publishing industry is challenging and right now it's the most challenging it has ever been i think uh in a lot of ways and it's not just us there's a lot going on in the industry beyond our control and there's a lot of trends that are changing very rapidly for book sales so having someone you know as a life partner who understands this very strange industry we're working in is it just goes such a long way because i can talk we talk all day every day <laughs> about <laughs> our publishing industry and about what we're doing what we're writing what we're talking to our agents about what we're hopeful about um we bounce ideas off each other sometimes we come up with joint pitches for stories um, and it's just a blast to have, you know, someone who completely understands where I'm coming from all the time. And also because I had two teens and he had two teens. And so there was that connection too. It was just kind of perfect. He's perfect. You know, <laughs> <laughs> It sounds like that. Yeah, the, the perfect match. Um, and your the the sol the the Lunar Punk book is out from Solar Punk Publishing, right? No, it's from Android Press. Oh, oh no no no, sorry sorry, from Android Press. Android Press. It's Solar Punk Magazine, and and so people can find that at the the, the it, it's their shop, right? Or directly from you know wherever book wherever good books are sold. Yeah, you can order it anywhere, and the hardback just came up came over for pre-order this past week. So you can get it in paperback, ebook, hardback, and there will be an audio version. I don't know when that's coming out, but um, this will be my mm. first hardback and audiobook. So it comes out the 24th, October 24th. Pre-orders are very helpful. And I know that, you know, with paper supply issues that, you know, it, you want to get your order in soon. If you order from Mysterious Galaxy Books in San Diego, they do ship and there's a special pre-order package oh, okay. with stickers and cards. One of the stickers glows in the dark. Um, I commissioned four artists to help me with that stuff. And I did that myself, you know, and I felt very passionately about this book and about supporting other artists. And I wanted to offer something beautiful and fun as part of the package, but that's very limited supply. So that's again from Mysterious Galaxy Books. And I have a book launch there at their store in San Diego on the same day as a release. And Gareth will be in conversation with me there in person. Okay. And people can find that. I'm sure that there'll be links on your, because you, I, I was going to jump ahead slightly to my, my question about your, your kind of your marketing and your social media. And I'm sure people can find links to all those things online, but you're, you're very active on social media. Um, lots of things on the go. I, I kind of wonder you know, how, yeah. How how hard is it to make the time for all of that? And you know, you mentioned sort of commissioning stickers and you know writing and you know being on multiple platforms. How 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 do you find juggling all of those different things? 
it can be time consuming and you need to find a good spot for balance. And I always, I give workshops on social media for writers and I'll be giving some more soon because I, I write on my Substack several times a week and I, I share information about writing, but also about other creatives. And one, one thing that I do is I schedule certain things. Like I have certain posts for Substack scheduled on certain days and I write them ahead of time and I schedule them to go out. So, you know, the creative ritual series where I interview writers and artists goes out Saturday. My weekly what's in a week post goes out on Sunday. That's a roundup of my news from behind me and ahead of me. And then throughout the week, I'll come up with different concepts to write about. It's just a matter of scheduling and Mm -hmm. it can get really, you get really embroiled on the various text-based social media as well as the video-based ones. But I think it's just, I, I'm cross-posting a lot, which is chaotic a little bit because now we have all these different options that we didn't have a year ago for, you know, reasons. And I'm stepping back more from what used to be Twitter and I'm posting more on threads and Blue Sky, Instagram, and a little bit on TikTok, as well as some of the other clones, but not as much as those. And I just find like being versatile is a strength. Social media is not for everyone and you shouldn't feel like you have to do all that. But for me, I've been extremely online since the early 90s, since Prodigy Chat, since the X-Files chat groups. I have always done this. <laughs> as, as soon as it came open, I was all over it. I love connecting with other creatives and with readers. It's just, to me, a lot of fun, but it's also, I do business in it because part of my job as a science writer, I'm also a content manager uh, and I handle the social media of the person that I work for in that. So it's, I'm always in there. I'm always, I'm, you know, always online, I suppose. And so I'm, it's easy just for me while I'm writing, just to pop something over there. Cause I'm very fast writer and, you know, I get in and get out, check my notifications and move on. But having that, having a sense of control over your schedule is good. And if you find yourself getting too wrapped up, there are ways to limit your screen time so that you don't get too stuck in it because I find that it becomes unhealthy when you're dwelling on it away from it, you know, and it, I don't like to get that involved, you know, and so I kind of keep it at a surface level. Uh, but I, I love once in a while answering Q and A's and I love sharing process. I love sharing creative things like my Instagram stories. And sometimes on TikTok, I'll share the paintings I'm working on, or I'll share some jokes or you know, there's all these different ways to connect. Substack offering the longer form, which is basically a blog. And I see a lot of old bloggers have moved there, which I think makes sense. And it's just having that, you know, being able to spin around and just, like I said, not for everybody, but I, I've always been doing it. So it just kind of makes sense that I continue doing it as long as I get some joy out of it. Mm-hmm. And, and it seems to be, pay- I mean, it's, it's paying off in terms of, you know the you know you mentioned the pre-orders you mentioned kind of the buzz the you know there there is the, the there is a sense that I mean I've spoken to a lot of writers who've said you know the it, it is much more now on you know on the writers to do that sort of marketing yeah. to do that promotion because there just you know there isn't the capacity or there isn't the will for you know some of the bigger publishers to do it and yeah it's just a, and it's just such a you know, such a changing, changing landscape. Constantly. And it's relevant to me too, because I don't know if you knew, but Gareth and I are forming our own publishing imprint. Mm. And 
I started a production company and he's my partner for that. And as the first offshoot of the production company is the publishing imprint in which we are a small press that will be publishing novels, novellas, novelettes, and graphic novels eventually for science fiction, fantasy, horror, and mystery for various ages. And so I'm paying close attention to what publishers are and are not doing on social media. And there's a there's a big range. And you would think that the larger publishers, because small publishers, your resources are limited. You know, it's it's just a fact. You don't have this huge team. But for the larger publishers, I find there's no excuse that they should definitely be giving equal publicity to every author. There shouldn't be a favoritism over this one giant author. Okay, that drives me nuts. I see it all the time. And I just think that's not right. Uh, I feel that when eventually we get our imprint up, we want to give every writer what they need and deserve and in promotion and get creative with it. You know, celebrate. It's a celebration. It's a celebration of this wonderful thing that this writer has made. They deserve beautiful social media graphics, which are not hard to make. They deserve buzz around it. They deserve discussion around it. This is your soul's work. Not giving it a platform is to me appalling. So that will be a huge, you know, as Gareth has a marketing background, we both feel strongly. We, it's a huge thing, you know, to give an author that support. And again, with the big publishers, there's no excuse. There just isn't. Smaller publishers, you're, you're really spread thin, right? There's only so much you could do. But I want to do the best I can while it's a small press. And if it expands, you know, then I hire someone else to take that on very probably so that I can get back to sort of managing it. But, you know, we will, between the two of us, we will, we will make sure that, that our writers get support on social media and mm-hmm. unless they don't want it, which will always be an option. If they don't want it, that is an option for them. But, you know, we want to help spread the word. You, you, yeah, you've you've answered my question there, which was going to be, you know, what are you, what are some of your priorities with this new publishing venture? So you've done a you've done a great job there, but 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 I suppose my my follow up would be, you know, yeah, what what are the kind of next steps, and and also, you know, from from your perspective, you know, trying to sell books and and you know talking to to Gareth Powell about you know his his experience, what. What, what, what you know? What do you think is going on with these big publishers, and and what can you know? What can small publishers do more? What what do you see as being really lacking? You know, in addition to what you've already mentioned, there has been in traditional publishing, and particularly in the large publishing arena, Big Five and all its you know tentacular imprints, a lot of staff turnover and a lot of exhausted, strained editors and other workers, they need more help. And if there's a backlog, you know, my agent and I have seen it everywhere. It's not just me. Uh, Everybody's talking about it. Editors, agents, they're all talking about it. And I don't know how to solve that. It's not my job to do that, but I'm paying close attention because becoming a publisher that's where I don't want to be. You know, I, I don't want it to get to the point where something falls through the cracks where, you know, you can't keep a handle on the, what's what's selling. That's another factor. There's a really strange thing going on with sales of books right now. And there has been since the pandemic. And I think 
there's some recovery and course correction from that, but we're just really in a very different era than we were before. There have been a lot of supply chain issues, slowing down delivery of books, um, and there's just a different audience trend. Uh, the things that were trending five years ago as being good sellers are not the same as today, and we're all trying to figure out what that is. So I appreciate the daring of smaller presses taking a risk on writers with unique stories, writers with diverse voices and diverse stories, which need to be uplifted. And I I want to see the big presses take more risks. I, I do, because I feel like mm-hmm. if, they, if they already admit that they don't know exactly what's going on, then may as well take the risk. Because I bet you, you know, you put it out there, there will be someone who, you know, it's like the field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. And so- I, I just don't like seeing lip service and, and no concrete ground below it. You know, I do believe in uplifting voices. And this is a time in which a lot of book sales are being, you know, constrained uh, for various and sundry reasons. And I just think that pushing the risks is the answer, not withdrawing, not, you know, putting the brakes on. Because I think that in the long term, if they don't, take more risks, it will be to the detriment of us all. When, I mean, I'm sure a lot of writers who hear what you're saying there will be really, really excited. And then also wondering, you know, when can I start sending you my work? Right. Well, you know, what are your next steps in terms of, you know, when you, when you want to start, you know, looking at, looking at manuscripts or looking at sort of proposals or whatever it is? Uh, It's a complex process that had to start with forming the production company first. And so we did that. And then we went through and changed the name of it. I'm not announcing that yet. There will be an announcement. Uh, And then we went through with my web design team to come up with, we came up with the publishing imprint name and we wanted a logo that meant something that would look good in various formats on the spine and social media. That took time and a lot of creativity back and forth between me and the designer and having personal elements incorporated into that that are important and we felt would capture the brand very well. That was a long process that was fascinating and really cool. And we finished that up several weeks ago. The next step is to build the actual website, which the team is working on. Once we have all of that in place, we can make the announcement for what it is, but we will not be ready to accept anything until at least 2024, that's the goal. And hopefully get one or two books out the first year and ramp up over time. And we have a lot that we want to make sure we get right before we open it up. And, you know, probably we will use agents because we just will not have the staff to be able to comb through an open call. That being said, there might be an occasional open call, particularly for an anthology, which I love. I'm obsessed with anthologies. So that might be something that we open up for like a couple of days of the year for a themed anthology. And in terms of novels, probably it's going to be via agents because, like I said, we're just not going to have the the staff for a while. That could change. And if it does, you know, we'll let people know. But it will be something that we get everything right for. We get the contracts very fair for our authors uh, and, and make sure that, you know, lawyers gone through it fine tooth comb. You know, I've got a great entertainment lawyer who deals with contracts all the time. 
He'll be going through those and just to make sure everything looks great. We'll get feedback from editors and agents for what they'd like to see, you know, or what, what they'd like to send or whatever, you know, and, and I just want to make sure it's, it's all ready that we have everything in place. That's not too soon. And that's because I want to give our authors the best experience that they can have. And to do that, I have to do due diligence and get on this. So meanwhile, I have been delayed because of life circumstance this year with the death of my mother. And then I've had, you know, I had to get book con- book contract stuff, situation, book launches, uh, books turned into my agent. I've turned two into her and I'm going to turn in a third this winter. And it's just been a, a very dynamic year. And I don't want, I didn't want any of that to cloud the experience of getting this done. So Hopefully 2024, we will be open for business officially. Yeah, my, my condolences on, your, on, on, on that loss. Thank you. The, 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 I remember you, you emailing and, and talking about that. The, 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 all, all of this is, you know, so, so many things to kind of, you know, to, to, keep, to keep on the go. And you really do just have so much energy. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. I think it's more than I'm really stubborn. I don't know that it's the energy. I think it's just I'm extremely stubborn. I like to get things done. I don't like things hanging. Um, you know, I, I have to-do lists and I go through them and I update them all the time. I'm a believer if it's not on the calendar, it does not get done. Um, you know, and I, I'm not as organized as some people are, but I at least understand that you have to you have to have some kind of organization as a creative in order to accomplish what you want to do. And so I'm always revisiting and trying to refine that. That's part of the process of all this. And again, I'm just really stubborn. I I think things can be done. I I don't like to be told that something is not possible. I, that's not who I am. I am the person that believes that you can make things happen. And so you may as well make good things happen. Yeah. That's, that's a great way to live. Um, you mentioned that the you're a big fan of anthologies, and I, I kind of wonder what's yeah, which anthologies have you really enjoyed recently, and and do you have any sort of particular particular anthologies in mind that you'd like to you'd like to create? Well, I'm extremely biased. I'm very biased, obviously. Because I mean, I have a collection which is different from an anthology. A collection is one author, several stories, right? So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so I have the Shadow Galaxy as sci-fi, fantasy, and horror, and Appalachian tales. And, but I was always a fan of collected stories and I was always a fan on TV, you know, things like amazing stories and stuff like that. I like visual anthologies, but I I love the idea of them being in print as well. And more bias, I'm part of some great anthologies under the Dotson name, The Winter of Wonder Fauna 2022 out from Cloaked Press. That was a like winter and yuletide tales. And I love that sort of mystical element of wintertime. And for Tales from Stokey's Hall, which I mentioned Lou Anders earlier, I'm part of that high fantasy world with great writers and artists in that. Rhapsody of the Spheres uh, under Jendia Gammon, if you could look on Amazon, you'll see it, is a space opera sci-fi anthology with a positive element. In other words, they're very uplifting stories. And I have the Rise anthology, the queer sci-fi anthology that I'm part of coming out the day after Lantern. So October 25th, you can see that under Jindia Gammon. And 
that is a wonderful collection of uplifting stories. I love anthologies, uh, Jonathan Mayberry and um, several others in, in the horror community have made some brilliant anthologies lately. And also Android Press has some fantastic ones. The Saltiverse coming with African science fiction writers. That is the one to watch. That's just Mother Sound. I highly recommend people check that out. And I love anthologies that that delve into you know, all kinds of different subjects because it's an opportunity for so many writers to look at it from a different angle. And in fact, uh, I can't talk about it much, but I'm I'm helming an anthology that oh. I've reached out to some pretty spectacular authors. I've got a huge, fabulous roster. One publisher already is interested. We're going to see how that goes. Um, and that it will be quite something. And it will be mostly dark fantasy and horror. That will hopefully hopefully be contracted in the coming new year and then probably published the year after that. But I can't talk about it much, but just know that the, the people who are part of it are pretty awesome. And it's very exciting to be an editor of an anthology. So I just having, it's like a sample of delights in different styles and different flavors, but the same general vibe. I just love that. I love it so much. It's like, you know, a box of, of favorite candies, you know, you're going to try <laughs> one, love that one, try another one. And, and it's a great way to showcase the capabilities and interests of different writers. I, I love short fiction for that, that you can enter a realm and explore it in a unique way. And then it's, it's a quick read, you know, and, and being part of Ender Zone issue 295 with my short story copper is, is that, I'm I'm with a roster of fantastic other writers. Yeah, and for sure. Highly honored to be. Where, where where did you? Yeah, where did Copper come from? I I know you're a big fan of robots. Oh yeah. And um yeah and 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 for sure. But but the and, and it is a robot story. But yeah, maybe maybe talk a bit about Copper, which is illustrated beautifully by by Vinayak Varma, uh, because it is yeah it's a very it, it it's. It's a great story, and it's also very kind of it's you know what 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 I like about putting together an issue is that you do have all these sort of interesting connections and contrasts and and yeah it's uh, it's very much its own thing. So right. maybe you can tell people about about that. Copper in Interzone issue two ninety five is Copper's the name of a robot, and the main character is a woman, Kill Wiltshire, and she wakes up. And thinks she hears her house bot copper making a sound and, and testing it out, not really making a sound. But then again, she hears something. But it turns out it's it's not something she's hearing. It's something in her thoughts. She's realizing that copper has developed a new ability, and it's as a result of of her of Kiel grieving the death of her cat. And so there's this connection that she makes with this robot, which is not something the robot is designed to do. And it's a, it's a unique story that's, that's kind of bittersweet about forming a new friendship that you didn't realize was possible to form. And I love that sort of story. And, and I do love robot stories. And in the Shadow Galaxy, Rotor is a very, uh, I would say it really pulls at your heartstrings about a robot by the name of Rotor. So 
I like that a lot. I like exploring those interesting potential friendships, but also copper is kind of honoring TikTok of Oz, um, the copper colored round Royal Army of Oz. TikTok was by many considered the first robot in literature. He was a wind up man, a wind up soldier and very round and very copper. And so Vinayak Varma came up with a beautiful illustration of this copper colored robot, which is a bit of a nod to TikTok, one of my favorite Oz book characters. Yeah, it's, it, it, it is. It has a, it, it connects, it kind of it resonates really nicely with that one. Um, the, the, the the, the the robot theme is is something we can maybe come back to as well but but before before that i just wanted to go back to the you mentioned shared universes and you know you know in writing into shared universes and also anthologies and mother sound are, are there are there particular oh and you mentioned a, a the x-files chat group i think which is which is <laughs> fantastic um like are, are there any particular shared universes you 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 know you'd love sort of to write in sort of like dream projects oh sure uh, you know any of the larger sci-fi properties i would love to write in um with thrones and bones with lou anders that was my first media tie-in story and i definitely want to do more i have i know my agent knows this as well and so has put my name in for certain little properties called Doctor Who and Star Wars and Star Trek and <laughs> you know because those are the three most obvious uh, from somebody who writes what I do I also I've I've had a, an idea kicking around for the alien franchise but it's notoriously hard to break into that one um, because I do love that franchise so but yeah, I would be open to any number of properties. It's just that Doctor Who, Star Trek, Star Wars, immediately those three. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons would be a blast. I, Warhammer would be fun. Um, I know Adrian writes in Warhammer, and I think that would be a good fit because I do write fantasy, but it's also sci-fi fantasy, right? There's a whole different thing there. Uh, yeah, those were, those are some of my favorites. I would love to write some DC superheroes. Uh, those are, I have a great fondness for DC and DC comics. I love Marvel comics too, but DC, you know, I go a bit farther back. So, um, that's a fun one. I would love to write an Oz book. And in fact, I already have one framed out. Oh, really? Oh, that's interesting. You, you mean you have, you have one framed out. Yeah. It's, it's in the public domain. You can you can write an Oz book. It's it's totally fine. Right, right, right. But 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 you have you have one already already planned out. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I've thought about it for years. So because I I'm a major Oz book fan, and the the original fourteen Oz books by L. Frank Baum are hugely influential on me, and I love you know how completely wacky they are. But you know I felt that there's a couple of characters that I would like to see stories from, and I thought well, I'll just write them myself. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um. What have you been? What have you been reading recently that you'd like to maybe signal boost? Any any recommendations for for interzone listeners? Oh my gosh, I have been reading so many books lately. I have to tell you about the first thing I just finished, which was a Midnight's Tale, and that's T A I L by Lily Hayward, mm-hmm. and she has made this magical Yuletide story that it's just come out. I think last week and involving a cat and a woman who has an interesting history and there's some magical realism going on. So Midwinter's Tale, A Midwinter's Tale. And that I can't recommend that one enough. I'm also 
I recently read Priest of Bones by Peter McLean, which is grimdark. Loved it. I'm actually interviewing him and J.L. Warad on their respective grimdark books this weekend. That's a, a genre I've recently got into. Um, and I love Broken Light by Joanne Harris because it's really shining a light on menopausal women and mm-hmm. loved it. I just was at Patrick Stewart's book event last week in LA with in conversation with LeVar Burton and LeVar asked my question for Patrick, oh, which was amazing. Wonderful. I freaked out. Anyway. Um, yeah. So his book just came out, Patrick Stewart, making it so a memoir. That's a great recommendation there. I of course have to recommend my husband's books. He has descendant machine, mm-hmm. which came out this year. Mm-hmm. He also has a book that twin peaks fans might enjoy called Ragged Alice. And that's a very spooky, moody book that would be great for, you know, October, November, December. And let's see. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I have to give another shout to Inner Zone issue 295 because it's yeah. terrific. What a group of people in this. Get, get your copy. 15 stories, 15 euro. Yeah, Classic. go for it. Interzone.press. Um, before, before we wrap up, um, where... Where, where can people find you, uh, you know, link tree links or website links? What's, what's the best way to kind of connect with you if they haven't already? So I have a website, jindiagammon.com, and you can link to several social media places there. There's also a book page, uh, so you can flip over to the book page. But also, I have a lot of things listed in my link tree. So that is l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash J-E-N-D-I-A-G-A-M-M-O-N. That is a great place to find all my social media, books, you name it. It's there. My agent's information is there. There's a lot of a lot of goodies there. So mm-hmm. I am chiefly active on social media now under Jindia Gammon on Threads, X, Blue Sky. On TikTok, I'm Jindia Gammon author. On Instagram, I'm Jindia Gammon, um, and everything is linked in League Tree, so you can just go from there. And I, my Substack is, I highly recommend people follow it. It's jindiagammon.substack.com, and that that's where I'm releasing a lot of interesting news, and that's going to continue. Fantastic. Um, thank you so much for for talking to me, Jindia. It's been a, it's been a real pleasure. Lots of oh, lots of great stuff there. And I, I look forward to hearing more about the the next, yeah, the next um, many, many books. Yes, fingers crossed we get the thriller bought soon so that we can I can start moving into big publishing. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. You've been listening to Interzone Pod. My name is Gareth Jelly. I'm the editor of Interzone and Interzone Digital. My guest today was Jendia Gammon. Uh, you can find her at the many links mentioned just now and you can find out about interzone at interzone.press and read stories and reviews for free at our sister zine interzone.digital thanks for listening <laughs>